0: Hello, please let me see your ticket stubs for the double edged double bill. This week, Force Whitaker is the last king of Repo Men. Week, Adam Thomas and Thomas Mariani will come to the table to discuss the randomly selected yin yang of a double feature. Then both left to pick a number between one and ten in order to seal their fates for the next episode. One will have two good movies, the other two bad ones. Let the chaos begin. I am Thomas Mariani, the clear king here of Scotland, obviously, me, Thomas Mariani. And uh, I should say that um, Adam isn't here this week. We've had a lot of scheduling conflicts with this particular episode, uh, so he wasn't able to join us for this one. But in his stead, we have one of our returning favorites, a buddy of mine uh, for many years now, Tori Depina. Tori, welcome to the show. Hey, happy to be back. Now, honestly, I'm surprised you're here considering uh, you just had uh, your organs taken out of you because you were laying on those payments, but you're still a soldier and not, this guy being just covered in blood and gore. Thank God for the black market. (laughs) Yes, for sure, but uh, we are here today uh, to discuss uh, Mr. Forrest Whitaker, which was, shout out to our patrons, patreon.com slash DEDBpod, more on them later, Uh, because this kind of tied into the movie uh, Big George Foreman, which would have recently opened, uh, that does not feel like a real movie every time I see a trailer, it's playing now, and I'm still just like, is this like a fake movie? If I were to get a ticket for it, it would just be like, a fooled you would show up for two hours. (laughs)
1: Yeah, I'm still in disbelief. Every time I see that trailer, it just I don't know if it's like a mad TV sketch or or whatnot, but no, it's it's something serious.
0: And uh, it's got Forrest Whitaker in it. Hey. Yes, it does have Forrest Whitaker, who is very interesting because I feel like Forrest Whitaker is one of those guys where he has the career very much of like a character actor. He kind of has that like the sort of workman ability where like he'll do a lot of different projects, especially as of late, how many like weird like action movies that he'll just uh, pop up in, like, in Taken 3 and shit like that. Uh, but at the same time, he has the gravitas and that kind of, like, respectability to where everyone still knows his name. He still is, like, well-known and respected as just an amazing actor in his own right.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I always go back to kind of how he kind of terrified me as a kid in, in, in movies like uh, Jason's Lyric, which he's, like, you know, he's his character he plays is kind of like the catalyst for... The drama, if you will, of that movie, but uh, but yeah, no, he, he's a guy who's managed to transcend that label of quote unquote character acting or character actor, and has you know a, quite a respectable career. I mean, more than respectable career, he's got a Best
0: Actor uh, Oscar you know, on a shelf somewhere. Yeah, especially like I, I watched one of those you know um, actor goes through all their iconic roles videos that was on there for Forrest Whitaker, and it's so fascinating how like despite how like very big. And both he can be as an actor. He's a very quiet, soft-spoken guy. And he's just very much into the craft of it all. And you can see that all the way back from, like, when he made his debut and stuff, like, Fast Times at Richmond High. And then like, moving forward, even, like, as young as he was there, it feels like he's had that sort of consistent, jovial spirit to him. But at the same time, when he needs to be, like, you know, full of remorse and regret, it really uh, feels palpable. You see it in... With the two movies we've seen tonight Yeah, which we should uh, get into So uh, at the end of our previous uh, regular episode uh, We ended up picking uh, You know, our good pick and our bad pick As we usually do And uh, we ended up with uh, my good pick Of The Last King of Scotland And Adam's bad pick of Repo Men So we'll go ahead and get into that now first With The Last King of Scotland
1: How many doctors are that here? Well, it's me, and uh, now there's you You Good morning, Dr. Garrigan. The president wants to see you.
0: You are British. Well, I'm Scottish. Scottish? Why didn't you say so? (laughs) This is the sort of man a president needs around him. You want me to be your physician?
1: (laughs) What do you mean? Is to have some fun. You are very naughty. Me?
0: (laughs) Dr. Garrigan, it's four in the morning. They've taken my passport. I have to go home now you cannot you are
1: like my own son and you have grossly offended your father
0: so the last king of scotland came out uh, september 27th 2006 uh, from director kevin mcdonald and uh, is based on the uh, novel by uh, Giles Foden, which we should note, despite the fact that this is a technical true story in terms of, obviously, this is the movie where Force Whitaker portrayed Idi Amin and got his uh, Best Actor Oscar that you mentioned earlier, Tori. Um, it is still very much uh, you know loose in terms of like uh, certain elements of it, particularly uh, the, the person who no one really talks about with this movie, who, despite him being technically the lead character of James McAvoy is, like, kind of based on a couple of real people, like, different, like, doctors and stuff who were around Idi Amin and his circle, Um, but uh, is not really a real specific person, which, um, I'll just say, as someone who, like, I picked this, but I had not seen it before, only just on the basis of, obviously, like, Forrest Whitaker won his Oscar for this movie, and I was very curious to finally see it, and I think it's a real testament to Whitaker, whose performance is amazing, and I get why he won, uh, especially because I think he is single handedly turns this movie over the edge from like kind of being bad Oscar bait, because aside from him, um, there's a lot of fucking dumb, stupid shit in this movie. I really don't like is <laughs> same because I actually
1: hadn't seen the film until this week. Um, I know my parents had watched it when um, it was available for like rental this. So this might've been like late Oh six, maybe early to mid 2007. And uh, I remember walking through and seeing the scene with the hooks, but that was pretty much it. Um, And obviously, you know, the fact that he won his Oscar uh, that year as well, which I think he beat uh, DiCaprio for Blood Diamond, amongst others. I'm with you as far as like the film itself. I feel he he and McAvoy, I would argue that the actors in general are the what carry this movie because everything else is kind of just there especially from like a narrative structure there's nothing really much there except you're kind of just following one man's descent into as a result of his extremely rash and bad decision making uh and you know striking up a a fiendship if you will with uh with Edie amin
0: yeah by the way other nominees that whitaker beat were leonardo dicaprio for blood diamond as you mentioned but also ryan gosling for half nelson yes peter o'toole for venus and will smith for the pursuit of Happiness. The first time he got nominated. Well no, not the first time, because there was Ali was the first oh, that's time. that's right, he did get nominated for Ali. Yeah, absolutely. Right, yes. But this was, you know, during that time where he's like, Oh man, I really want to win an Oscar. And he did, in a very interesting way. Absolutely. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> but um but yeah, I think to go back to at least the movie itself, I agree with you that all of the actors are pretty committed, where, aside from Whitaker, who we'll expound upon a bit later. Um, I mean, McFoy, this is pretty early in his career. This is, like, just after he played Mr. Tumnus in Chronicles of Narnia, but it was before even, like, Wanted or any of the X-Men movies or Split, any of that stuff. And I think he's a very talented actor. I just think that he's definitely saddled with just the biggest problem of this movie, which is just the fact that we mainly, like I mentioned earlier, like, we start off with... Uh, James McAvoy, who plays the the Scottish character here, uh, Dr. Nicholas Garrigan, as he randomly decides, like, you know, I, I'm tired of being in Scotland in the suburbs. I want to go somewhere else. And he randomly selects Uganda, which just leads him to go over to Uganda at this point in, like, the 70s. And he initially is with Jillian Anderson, who her and her husband are part of, like, a, you know, sort of medical uh, tent for, like, the citizens of Uganda. But then he ends up uh, having a chance meeting with I Amin and it ends up kind of being roped into his circle and I'll just say especially like that first I don't know 20 minutes with like the almost will they won't they affair thing with Julianne Anderson I was really just like what this is what this movie is about really like I don't give a shit <laughs> Go back to Forrest Whitaker, and we eventually do. But centering the whole thing on him, it's that classic, like, Oscar You think, Oh, we can't focus this story on, say, like, an actual, like, Ugandan character or even, like, a foreigner who's a black guy. We have to have the key focus of this white dude who is not really interesting at all as a character.
1: I mean, from what I gathered from the beginning of this movie, uh, I'm angry at my dad because he doesn't completely accept my degree or whatever my line of work, even though we're basically in the same line of work um he wants to fuck everything i mean there's that to, me, to be very to be very blunt, i mean literally opens with that uh and then to the thing with jillian anderson which went fucking nowhere like to say the least.
0: hey hey she showed up on a bus later and he was like hey remember me jillian anderson and she's like oh fuck you Get uh,
1: man and that's it <laughs> i know i shouldn't have like i don't know if like it was it was like the proper response was for me to laugh at that scene, but I'm just kind of laughing my ass off, kind of like, ah, you stupid fucking... I, 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 it's hard for me to really feel for this character at all in this movie, and the fact that they decide to... And it's not even of McAvoy's fault. His performance is, is really fucking good. It was definitely not on par with Whitaker's, but obviously the close second compared to um, uh, you know, and you know, I would say Carrie Washington third. It's just like I'm watching this the entire time, and I'm thinking to myself, man, it's like I'm, I'm kind of with the racist British guy, and I don't want to be with the racist british guy for obvious reasons but he's not wrong when he kind of throws it right back in jay's back face when they have a little conversation where he's like oh now i need to go and get out of here i was like yeah i mean you were kind of living like you know enjoying this this power you were getting with being you know idiom means pretty much doctor confidant whatever you want to call it and now you know the it started to bite you in the ass a little bit and now all of a sudden it's like oh no now i need to leave now i need to go and it's just like i never really I wish they gave us a character, one that we could give a shit about, like, to follow
0: in this story. Honestly, like, this whole movie, like, especially when, when he ended up showing up later, like, uh, working with McAvoy, I was like, oh, wait, David Yellow Why didn't we just follow, like, David Yellow's character <laughs> instead of fucking McAvoy?
1: Yeah. And he ends up being, unfortunately he ends up being, I, I hate this shit. This is, this is exactly why I didn't even like movies that came around this time that were, you know, used that, you know, Africa, like making these films in Africa, like blood diamond. I have issues with blood diamond and I ended up having similar issues with this movie. It's just so Hollywood, you know what I mean? I know that sounds really half-assed to like have that be a criticism, but it's just like they didn't really feel like the film itself had any soul except when Forrest Whitaker is on the screen. Like he is the soul of this movie. He's the heart and soul of this movie. You feel it when he's being charming. You feel it when he's being psychotic. You feel it when he's being paranoid. You know, every which way, like he carries this film pretty much on his back the entirety for the two hours you're watching this
0: it's this weird thing where the director of kevin mcdonald is a guy who he came from documentaries originally this is his first narrative feature and i think like his shooting style which feels very similar to like a lot of the sort of shooting style for like serious dramatic movies around this time which is to say it kind of looks like that you wouldn't steal a vhs psa <laughs> Is like, you wouldn't steal a DVD. <laughs> the kind of thing with, like, the, the weird, like, contrast and the, like, different, like, the grain and stuff that's put all over for, like, the digital sh- photography. It feels like it's trying to be a bit more, you know, like, oh, we're having this, uh, sort of grounded documentary aesthetic. But then the screenplay constantly betrays that with a lot of the different twists and turns, particularly my big thing. The point where I was really just like, oh, god, I don't know if I'm gonna like this fucking movie. When... James McAvoy and Kerry Washington, fuck. I was, like, deeply upset. Just like, no, what? Wait, what? This doesn't make any fucking sense. Why is this happening?
1: Yeah, so it should be, like, a thing where it's like, you should probably start to get out of here, but it's like, why did we need... What? What? Why, why was the sexy necessary? Like, what was the whole point? Was it just just give them a love interest? Because... I mean, he didn't really like earn any of like those moments. It was kind of just like Carrie Washington gets treated just like uh, the actress in the beginning of the movie, and what almost happened to you know Gillian uh, Gillian Anderson. It felt like more of like an object or a prop or something like that, or a plot device, as opposed to like her own character.
0: I don't. I mean, you know, Carrie Washington saw you know James McAvoy help out her kid who was having a seizure, and she's instantly just like, "I want to (laughs) fuck." And it's like, really.
1: That's, that's it. It's exactly like I was even doing stuff where I was trying to look in like stuff about her character historically. Um, The only thing I could really find was uh, something from her son. Who's kind of a nut job himself. If you ever like look deep into his, you know, his Facebook page that I, that was able to find out of it. But like, he said that like the portrayal, obviously the portrayal wasn't really accurate to what she was as a person or uh, whatsoever. I mean, she was heavily religious she was really involved in trying to bring progress to you know to and got to Uganda as like a as far as like updating with trying to get better health care trying to have like you know better connection with people like like religiously she was very spiritual none of those things that you get from Carrie Washington's portrayal in this movie or how they wrote Carrie Washington's portrayal in this movie it's obviously
0: not her fault she's just
1: doing her job yeah
0: especially when you find out like the story of like kea meaning how she actually died was like she was pregnant from an affair and then it was a ugandan physician who had they she had sex with and then he ended up trying to give her an abortion ended up being botched and she died that way um and then he committed suicide which is a bit more of like a tragic upsetting story that had to happen uh, though the element that is true is admittingly an effective upsetting moment Uh, When James McAvoy discovers her body and how it's been returned and stitched together, that is deeply unsettling in a way that I think is authentic. And I think also works in like that sort of the style actually benefits that particular moment.
1: I didn't expect it to be that graphic, honestly, but um, I do actually to go back to like when my parents were watching it, I do remember my dad having quite a visceral reaction to the film um and he reacted highly at that scene he was just like oh no no i can't do this like kind of reaction and when i finally see it obviously it's like oh i understand now <laughs> i get where he was coming from you know but uh it's a very um man especially considering the history of like K- I mean in real life I, it really just chilled me like it really like threw me off when i saw that i was like i did not expect that i was like oh my goodness
0: yeah yeah for sure it's very upsetting and a lot of that i think obviously comes from we should talk further Whitaker in this movie, despite like all these issues that we clearly have with what is around him in this movie. It is such an enigmatic performance from like the moment he does that speech when we first see him instantaneously, you're like, Oh, I get why this guy is like sort of like a populist leader to where it's just like, yep, that guy, like he's the classic, like, Oh, I want to hang out with that political leader. That means I immediately like behind him and love everything about him. And then, as we learn more and more about, like, his own paranoias and his history and everything, it's just like, oh, God, this guy is, like, a human being in the way that you were initially attracted to. And then as you find him more, it's like, oh, you're a deeply fucked up, upsetting person who went through a lot of shit and now is taking on everybody who you find to have any kind of paranoia about. It's, it's a genuinely amazing performance that 100% I get why he won the Oscar for it.
1: Oh, absolutely. Like I said before, him being charming and being paranoid, him being downright a bastard like an evil son of a bitch a despot <laughs> you know what I mean every single scene that he is in he does not it's nothing is wasted with him stuff is wasted with the majority of the cast uh in regards to this film as far as like their characters uh we mentioned the uh the doctor from before I I, I just dropped his name you had just said his name earlier David Oyelowo you mean Yeah. yes uh, yes exactly absolutely like even him um you know what a what a waste and I just I just didn't like how the whole sacrifice thing for him to let James McAvoy leave. I just that never sat right with me, like as a film, like like as as a narrative, like as I'm watching this. You know what I mean? I remember seeing that clip like uh, uh, like months ago because it just happened to be playing at my job's break room. It was playing uh, uncut, if you uh, if you could believe that. Uh, but... What a fun break room! Just like <laughs> oh man,
0: exhausting time. Let me turn on the tube. Yeah,
1: um, we need to watch the Girl, Ask King of Scotland on Stars. Yeah, yeah. But um, and it was just like I was just like, wait, really? That's how he gets? And it's just like I I, I hate the you know, I hate like the white savior shit that like they do with DiCaprio and blood diamond. And I felt like it was like a reverse that when it came to this and it's just like, it's just shit like that. That just took me out of it.
0: Well, especially when it's upsetting. Cause like there's a bit of commentary. They kind of slide in very last minute during like that scene and last scene between McAvoy and Whitaker where they do talk about just like oh you thought you a white guy could like come around and play with like the natives in Uganda and you didn't think that like this was gonna like end up with some shit happening and then even O'Yellow even speaks about like oh they'll believe you cause you're white and it's like oh okay you're starting to kind of actually address the major problem of this movie two hours in and we're done and it's over <laughs> so it's like oh great great <laughs> We
1: address the elephant in the room, but, uh, you know, hey, listen, it might have taken us two hours to get to this point, but, you know, you had a lot of fun along the way, right? And I was just like, no, okay. It's about the friends we made along the way. It's about the fiends, yeah, exactly, the fiends we made along the way. Um, <laughs> oh Um, Man, I just, I, is it bad that when I saw that Carrie Washington scene, I just immediately thought of that Simpsons clip where it's Dr. Nick going, oh, Mr. McGreg, with a leg for an arm <laughs> for and an, an arm, arm and for a leg. I was just like, dude, because it was so out of that movie by that point i was just i wasn't with it at that point because it was just so much filler and following mcavoy around where it's just basically like i feel like the film's telling me oh you should sympathize with him right he clearly went over his head i was like yeah but this isn't a child okay this is an adult this is a guy who took the hippocratic oath this is a man who went through the medical field he knows what right and wrong is you know what I mean? Like, he did this all for, like, the adventure. He wanted the feeling of adventure or whatever. You know what I mean? Like, I mean, at that point, with as bad of a decision-making as he made, I mean, he might as well have just went to Canada <laughs> instead of <laughs>
0: instead of Uganda. Especially when, like, he's supposed to be, like, our audience surrogate. I don't know, for, like, a laundry list of reasons, he is not my surrogate. Fuck that guy. <laughs> I don't. I don't want him to, like, represent me going to Uganda <laughs> and just, like, oh, I'm here for, like, the adventure. And it's like... <sighs> okay man sure
1: yeah exactly it was like you know well, the amount of times that he gets laid in this movie that he does not even have to put in work for this is like literally like the e- the, the the easiest whitest journey you could think of for such a character and it's like this is your avatar he's like oh uh, the fuck he is
0: no he's not absolutely not i'm not with him <laughs> i am not he does absolutely- not represent me <laughs> <laughs> oh my
1: goodness oh boy <laughs> um, but, but to get back that's to the winter
0: cool. crew of at all I'm, I'm curious like what would you say is sort of like your favorite sort of standout moment for what occurred in this movie
1: I, I wish i i could just say yes honestly because from from the opening speech to you know him waiting for you know when McAvoy first meets him and he has like he's his you know his little busted paw or whatever. Um, you know, even even down to the scenes that like I thought I was gonna roll my eyes at, like, you know, the the, the flatulent scene, you know, to, to put it rightly. Um, but I would honestly say the one that really showed the 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 best range, which is kind of a weird scene, is when they when he's staring at him after they lift up McAvoy with the torture hooks on his chest and shit. And like he's staring there, and then like when he starts to look down, and then like, you can see like the slight tear in his eye as he starts to kind of turn away. And you don't know, it's like, wait, does he feel bad? Because he really felt a connection with this guy. And now he's watching him get tortured and it wasn't as satisfying as it was, you know, seeing his enemies get killed or some shit. And it's just like a weird moment where this monster is like starting to show some sort of sorrow, but it's also like you're, you're eating a mean. So, but, but it's like the fact that I'm getting that I'm being made to feel this way in the moment watching this scene is like a testament to how good Forrest Whitaker is in this movie. How great Forrest Whitaker is in this movie. It's definitely one of the greatest performances ever captured on screen. Just, you know, wish the movie could match that.
0: Well, Especially when I liked how um, Giles Foden talked about in terms of like how he portrayed Amin in his book as sort of like a comparison to like Macbeth. And I think for in regards to like Whitaker's character, it does kind of feel like when... Like, if you actually read any Shakespeare playing based on a real-life figure and compare it to the real-life figure, uh, there's a lot of varying different things that, like, conflict with history – but at the same time, you get a full sense of at least, like, this sort of character and how you can see how this person would exist. This sort of larger-than-life figure where, like, but prior to this, honestly, like, my own ignorance, I only knew, like, sort of vague things, like, that Edie Amin, like, allegedly was a cannibal and all that other stuff. Sort of, like, what I had seen in basically, like, sort of pop culture and, like, historical, like, vagaries that I learned through, you know, the public school system in America. What I like about the way that, like... Whitaker portrays him is there's so much of like the that great thing when like an actor or or a storyteller and like anything is focusing on a villain and they totally get the villain's perspective in like a complete way where you he thinks that he's right and I think that's why I like my favorite scene is the bit after he forces like all the the Asian communities out of Uganda and then he's talking to James McAvoy about like why didn't you convince me harder to not do that Because he sees the repercussions, and it's not a case of like, oh, I did something wrong and I should learn from this. It's no, I have these trusted advisors around me who I felt I could trust and they didn't advise me correctly. (laughs) That really just summarizes beautifully what he's doing in this movie, which is like, oh, he has his logic that he thinks like this is how it should go. And it's like, no, dude, everything's just, like, falling the fuck apart around you, and it's your fault, but you have to find someone else to blame. But it feels so human and so, like, layered in that way, where I'm just, like, this is... such That's why I think he's such a fascinating sort of portrayal of, like, a villainous character, and why I think is like, really the only person that could have, like, portrayed
1: all of that. Oh, absolutely. You know, I mean, like, that that scene you spoke of. he's like, oh, you should have, uh, you know, persuaded me better. I was like, I feel like this is, <laughs> like, a... I feel like I'm at my job right now and a supervisor is trying to (laughs) pin the blame up to me, especially when that supervisor like an hour ago was like 100% uh, 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 confident and 100% sure that I had made the right decision by kicking out all the <laughs> Asians out of my country with absolutely what there should be. This is a
0: perfect plan. I, I, I don't know. Tori, that was a boneheaded move of you. How dare you do that? <laughs> <laughs> oh,
1: yeah, exactly. It's like you should have you should have. Uh, what's, what's the thing It's like, damn it. <laughs> like you just said, actually, it's um, he He brings all that to life in a way that I feel like only Forrest Whitaker could. Nobody else could have brought in that um, could have could have brought in that life out of that character the way he did
0: yeah i think it just really shows the the variety uh and the range of him as an actor where you get like the cuddlier scenes that you mentioned like the sort of like two bros hanging out scenes where you're kind of fooled into like oh you know him and mcavoy they're just dudes being dudes but you at the same time it's like you mentioned you kind of feel that sympathy for him i think it's because whitaker just whitaker's face is so beautifully like kind in a weird way and like you're immediately invited like oh this guy wouldn't hurt me he's like a big teddy bear he wouldn't do anything to me but then that teddy bear has like a knife in its paw and it fucking starts stabbing people and it's like oh no what no not teddy not teddy whitaker why would you ever do this i can't believe it like that sort of betrayal you feel that betrayal along with mcavoy and then the way that the audience surrogate thing that's the only time it works where you feel that same betrayal with him in a way that's like very authentic.
1: Absolutely. I mean, (laughs) Teddy Bear, I don't know, I've seen, (laughs) I mentioned earlier about the movie Jason's Lyric and I was like, no, I've seen him portray Mad Dog, okay? That's why the entire time when I'm watching these scenes where he's being like jovial and happy and it's like, it's just two bros hanging out. I was like, no, it is not two bros hanging out. I have seen this play out before. I have that immediate feeling in my gut that something terrible, dark, and horrifying is around the corner. I will not enjoy these moments. That's the thing with this film. It just made me like on edge the entire time. Like, I don't trust shit that's going on right now. You, I don't care how good you are for us, Whitaker. I know what's around that corner. And it is, Uh, uh it, it's awful
0: <laughs> to say the least. And I guess, was there anything else besides sort of like Whitaker and like the actors that you liked about the movie? Would you say that this was at all like a decent good pick? Because of those elements, or is there anything else that kind of like at least like caught your eye and didn't like lull you into a sense of like what the fuck's happening?
1: (laughs) I mean, it's shot beautifully. I mean, to say the least. I mean, um, there was like a like as far as like that kind of that yellowish like hue. I mean, or whatever. I kind of felt like I was watching a Tony Scott film without the the quick cuts or the obnoxiously. You know, fucking put in your face quick cuts because it looks beautiful. Like the way it was shot was beautiful and almost kind of like the. Because you mentioned this guy was a documentarian. I haven't seen any other films by this guy whatsoever. I know he made State of Play. I never saw State of Play. Those kind of like foreign policy middle eastern type movies about america's involvement and shit kind of wore me out by the time rendition came out and i was like 16 so it's like nah, i'm good but when it comes down to like how it's shot i mean it looks beautiful i mean it kind of has like that yellowishness you saw in movies like traffic as far as like from a technical standpoint that's kind of like really what i like could say is like you know great cinematography um, because i I really don't think the script was there. I really don't think the storytelling was there. I think it was just um, it was this is an actor's movie. This is like, you know, unfortunately, you know it's a bad it's got like a bad connotation to it, but it, it's Oscar bait. It just happens to be high quality Oscar bait because of the the caliber of actor involved,
0: yeah. I would say there's a couple of moments where I think, particularly whenever you see like Edie Amin amongst like the you know the the regular folks in Uganda. I, I felt that kind of like, oh, this is where the authentic documentary and stuff works. Like, there's a bit where there's a bunch of kids who are, like, playing ball outside and Amin just, like, goes up to him and they start, like, punching his, like, his hands that he has up and stuff like that. Those are the moments where I kind of felt like, oh, this feels like I'm just sort of, like, in the middle of this particular place and time and it feels, like, pretty authentic. Um, and even, like, when you have certain, like, moments where it gets, like, grisly, like, particularly the scene where, like, he has all those guys, like, captured and lined up and they're, like, horribly... Murdered, I think is one of the better examples where that kind of Tony Scottism, ism for, I think, works. Because I think a lot of this, I agree with you, has the flares of, like, a Tony Scott, but not as much of, like, the actual stylistic integrity of a Tony Scott, quite frankly. I could imagine, I think a Tony Scott version of this movie would be probably much more engaging and fascinating. Um, but, yeah, I think, uh, you know, we got a whole other movie to talk about. So let's go into our final thoughts here. Tori, any final lingering thoughts on Last King of Scotland? Nothing more than what I've already,
1: uh, what's already been said. Um, it's a decent movie carried by a magnificent performance by a magnificent actor. Um, so an Oscar film, but <laughs> you know what I mean? But uh, uh, you know, but other than that, uh, I'm glad to have finally saw it, you know, finally kind of crossed that one off the, uh, off the old bucket list of films, if you will. Um, but yeah, I, I, I it's a, uh, it was, you know, decent movie, magnificent performance, like I just said. So,
0: yeah, like I said earlier, I think the the big thing I want to emphasize is this is the true power of Whitaker is his ability to, like, skirt this over into being a movie I somehow liked, uh, because it has all, like, the earmarks of, like, a bad Oscar-bait movie that I would, like, normally just say, like, oh, fuck this shit, I'm glad it's kind of been forgotten to history, but this is one of those rare examples where, like, oh... The lead performance actually carries it because some people try and do that all the time with like movies where, especially where it tends to be like, oh, the one actor won his award, but everything else wasn't really one. Well, like, I just recently watched Sense of a Woman, the Al Pacino movie. Um, and a lot of people say, like, oh, that movie might be flawed, but Al Pacino's performance is so great in it. And I'm just going to say here, no. Uh, that movie fucking sucks, and it's not a great Pacino performance. It does not carry that dumb movie over into being anything like watchable to me. As opposed to like Last King of Scotland, I think that's very much the case with Whitaker's performance. He's like so fascinating, enigmatic, and I get why he was sort of like the guy who not only won the Oscar, but that op- entire award season, he was just racking up like Golden Globe, BAFTA, like all that shit, and it totally made sense why he kind of steamrolled. Because it's not a undeniable performance, and you know, even if we had to get it in this, uh, not quite that good package i'm at least glad this performance at least was able to come out of uh, such a flawed overall product uh but let's go ahead and get into our bad movie here with repo men it's compact it's safe it's comfortable everything you want in a new liver the price seven hundred fifty-six thousand dollars.
1: let me just reassure you that our credit department will find a plan that fits your lifestyle he'll sign it Everybody signs it, but what they don't tell you is if you can't pay the bills, some union man will break into your house and reclaim our property. I can pay. Sorry, that's not my department. My name's Remy. That's my best friend, Jake. We grew up
0: together, and now we work together. Yeah, jobs a job. We're always going to be repo. you're a very lucky man you know what? what you're looking at here is the new heart module top of the line get it out no time at all you're gonna be back on your game you're gonna be knocking them back you've done this a thousand times
1: what's wrong with you falling behind on payments your repo they'll come for you too
0: <sighs> you think frank's gonna send after me maybe me repo man So, uh, Repo Men came out March 19, 2010, uh, from director Miguel Sapochnik, uh, and is uh, based on the novel, The Reposition Mambo, uh, which at least is like the source material that was, was written by one of the two screenwriters, Eric Garcia, though a lot of people kind of at the time, and I even remember like when this was coming out, I hadn't seen this before, but when it was coming out, I kind of was like, wait, didn't we just kind of do that with Genic Opera, which had been a movie that came out two years prior, but then even then had been a stage show for like about a decade prior to that. Um, and, you know, a lot of people kind of had the weird comparisons and were just like, oh, we're just ripping this off and doing it in a very, like, bizarre, uninteresting way. And uh, Tori, uh, do you agree with that sentiment about Repo Man? Because, you know, whenever you come on the show, you tend to be the positive light. When we talk about bad movies, you're like, I don't know guys. It wasn't that bad. Uh, Was this that bad? Uh, Yeah. This actually might've been the first (laughs) time I've,
1: I've been on this show where it's a bad movie that I've actually like fucking hated, Um, man. Uh, 2010 was like a very active year for me, like film wise, Um, you know, like you and I were both on spill and I remember like kind of before life kind of hit me in the face and I had to focus on other things and I could just focus on film. This was like one of those last couple of years I really had of, you know, investing my time into movies and stuff. And I remember seeing a lot of the trailers for this film and it made it look so fucking interesting, like a black comedy with Jude Law and uh, uh, and Forrest Whitaker seemingly having great chemistry together in a film that's about repoing people's organs. This should be the shit. What's going like? Let's fucking go. Let's watch this movie. I didn't get a chance to see it in theaters, um, but like many films I watched in 2010, you know, red bucks watched it. And I just find it funny that the two movies we've watched today are just basically Forrest Whitaker being the world's shittiest best friend because man, (laughs) (laughs) This movie is like a fucked up Spongebob episode. Like there's the episode of Spongebob where he's like, yo, I'm going to live with the jellyfish. And then Patrick is so broken hearted over it that he's going to literally try to catch him as if he's a jellyfish and force him into a jar. That is literally Forrest Whitaker this entire fucking movie. <laughs> he is fucking
0: psychotic. You know, if I'm going to get a live-action Patrick Starr, I think Forrest Whitaker's a pretty good bet, if we ever make yeah. that <laughs> unwise decision. I think that's a pretty good casting decision. I want to hear Forrest Whitaker say, but I thought we were special. <laughs> <laughs> He'll win his second Oscar for Patrick Starr, I'm sure.
1: Oh my gosh. Oh, dude, I hate me. fuck this movie. <laughs> it's, just, <laughs> it's just like, Jules is just an asshole, and he is like it's weird because it's like, you know, that sort of like bully and then becomes best friend dynamic is something that, like there's interesting shit this movie could have like the story could have told, you know, and it could have just had the repo organs just be kind of like a background to it. Like, you know, about people who come back from war and don't know where they can apply their skills into real like everyday life and like the feeling of loneliness and not having like that true friendship. And this film could have been like that friendship film, but it doesn't know what the fuck it wants to be. It wants to be like a statement on healthcare. It wants to be a buddy cop. movie. It wants to be a black comedy. It wants to rip off like seven fucked up like crime movies. Like for one minute, it's like it's old boy. Then it's repo, the genetic opera, uh, you know, then it's total
0: recall. And then it becomes Brazil at the end. Especially. <laughs> and, then it beca- and then it becomes fucking Brazil at the end, yep.
1: which is what pissed yep. me off when I watched it as a 19 year old. And I'm still pissed off now as a 32 year old watching this film again. This it, it's just like this. Is the only thing I was like, you know what, man? I'm glad my anger is still there when I see shitty fucking movies like this, because that's, that's exactly what this is. But I, I, there was so much potential. Jude Law and Forrest Whitaker are so fucking good together. Like, they are perfect together. They're just two douchebags doing a douchebag job, which is repoing organs. And I wish they kind of just stuck to that. You know what I mean? Instead of trying to be like, felt like they have to make a statement on corporations or, you know, try to do like anything that had a message. The minute this film stops being a black comedy is when it stops being fun. And it's like 20 minutes into the movie.
0: Well, especially when, like, that stuff you're talking about, I agree with you. I think the first 20 minutes or so is kind of like, oh, this could be a bit, like, interesting as, like, a dark satirical movie about the fact that, like, our main character, Jude Law, is a guy who not only, like, does this repo job, but kind of gets off on it. Which I found fascinating, like him and Whitaker literally are doing stuff like they're they're having a big like barbecue at Jude Law's house, and then it's like, oh shit, wait, uh, apparently like well, I just scanned around, we're off duty, but I scanned around, that guy is is uh, behind on his payments. Let's go ahead and fuck with him, like this guy who's like driving the taxi nearby, and they like repo him very quickly while this like family barbecue is going on. That is the stuff I'm like, okay, this is fascinating, and even we we're talking about like, oh, if it's trying to make a statement on corporations, making that movie where that guy who's your main character is making a statement in an interesting way that's still like is entertaining and fascinating and I agree with you like the chemistry between Jude Law and Forrest Whitaker is definitely like oh yeah these are two people who should not be friends but became friends because like they established it's like oh they met during like the war and they kind of became best buddies and it's like they know probably in their heart of hearts it's like we're bad for each other we bring out the worst in each other but this guy's loyal to me like we're buds we can't not do that like there's a whole bit where they go to the bar at one point And Forrest Whitaker talks about, like, you know what, man? I'd repo, you know, an organ from my grandma if I could. Don't tell her. But, I mean, I'd do it. You know? I'd I'd fucking do it in a heartbeat. Like, that's a horrible, awful, shitty thing that anyone could say. But you get that chemistry with those two. I see why they've had this friendship for so long. But I agree with you that, like, like specifically, it's all the stuff with once Alice Braga becomes a part of the movie, as this woman who initially was, like, a nightclub singer that Jude Law heard... And then, like, him realizing, like, I don't even remember, like, how does he get a conscience in this fucking movie all of a sudden where he's like, oh, wait a minute, this is bad. I shouldn't do that. I think it's just, like, it's after his wife breaks up with him, basically. Then he just suddenly starts realizing, like, oh, wait, it's a bad thing I take organs. I shouldn't do that. And then, oh, this hot lady is like homeless now because she's trying to you know run away from like people who are trying to track down her organs oh my god what do i oh what have i been doing this whole time it's like i don't believe that for a fucking second dude (laughs) this is dumb
1: yeah it's like the movie decides like it's like after the first 20 minutes the movie got fucking scared of itself yeah. like literally scared of itself because it was like, well, maybe we're just being too mean and we're being too black of a comedy. And it's like, no, you didn't even like, you didn't even go past the fucking 10 yard line. You're still in your starting part of the field. You're still in your starting end zone of the fucking field. You haven't done anything. You moved up 10 yards. You've been stuck at the 10 yard line in the last hour and a half. is you constantly like feeling bad that you went 10 yards upfield using shitty sports analogies here. But like, I don't know, like, I just wish this film could have, like, instead of falling into, like, stupid pitfalls and ripping off better movies and taking advantage of its leads, it it decides to just do stupid shit, like, rip off fucking better movies and completely waste its leads. Even Alice is good in it. I buy Alice Braga and Jude Law together as far as, like, being a couple. They have good chemistry. They have better chemistry than he has with the uh, actress who plays his wife. And, And I could almost buy him becoming like him getting a conscience because it's like he now has to deal with the fact that he has like an artificial organ. It's like slowing him down to the point where he can't even do his job as effectively. And I wish they would explore that as far as like him post having the issue with his heart, having to get the heart transplant, having it affect his performance as both a repo man and as a salesman, they still kind of had an interesting thing. They could have went there, but no, they just went with the whole like, well, he's gonna have remorse now and now he's gonna slowly but surely uh uh rebel against the system and i was just like but you didn't even earn that this is coward shit what are we doing right you're right that's right around now. the
0: time where they start to like where it's like oh, all of a sudden i'm affected therefore i suddenly realize it but even then earlier yeah. on like the sequence where like he ends up getting that like Faye gorgon because of like the accident he has with, like the shocker and whatnot over rizza who is like this guy who like uh, is a musician that he likes, and it's like, oh man, wow, I, I guess I gotta extract this from you, but I love your dope beats. Fucking Jude Law come out there with his tin-tin-ass hair. Just like, oh, I love your sick beats, RZA. We gotta, like, really collab here. Interesting, the RZA-Forrest Whitaker reunion, weirdly, despite the fact they don't share scenes at all in this movie, is <laughs> interesting. Uh, but, yeah, that like, that whole switch where just, like, all of a sudden, because I'm effect that I'm supposed to like... but You could even still go on with like the dark comedy of that Alan where it's like, oh no, I care about myself, but I don't have like empathy for other people. That's the problem. It's like, when Alice Braga ends up becoming that, even if they have chemistry, it's still just such a dumb fucking turn where it's like, well, I can't be with my wife, Melisandre um, from Game of Thrones, by the way, that's who that actress is. And oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, and it's like, oh no, I can't be with her anymore because she's disgusted by my sick fascination with extracting organs from people women am i right um but then <laughs> they try and do like that whole thing where it's like oh no now i have empathy for alice braga who has like several different like organs that she's had to replace and now i feel bad because this hot lady who likes me now is like potentially gonna good- because she sang a song <laughs> which i love that too that it's like that it's a song that like is like a very classic jazz standard and he's like has anyone heard this song before it's a like cry me a river right it's that fucking song? And it's like, dude, yeah, everyone's heard that song. That's a very familiar fucking like jazz standard that anyone's heard at least once in their life. And he's just like, I've never heard this before. Like, sure, okay. Is this
1: what love is like? No. <laughs> like, is this what humans call love? Can I repo these feelings? No, but I. <laughs> oh my god oh, why was this fucking cowardly piece of shit made? It's just like, man, I wish they, I would have rather have had them go down the road of making this a cruel ass movie where it's just about a guy. You could have made this a character study. You could have literally made it a character study of him going through the motions and dealing with shit that, you know, the people he was like literally uh, uh, collecting organs from would be going through. And it would have been interesting to have it as a character study of him trying to go through day-to-day life, like seeing his shit get affected, which is good because he's a piece of shit so you kind of want to see him go through like the lowest of the low the lowest of the low is not collecting scrap metal and getting to fuck Alice Braga it's not There's and, and then having like old boy rip off hallway fight scenes with knives and shit like there's no there isn't <laughs> there's nothing I cared about this entire time and I was just like nothing nothing I cared about
0: Yeah, we really need to address, like, so, spoilers for this fucking old-ass movie that you probably have not seen, don't give a shit about everybody out there, but as Tori's mentioning, like, after they go through a bunch of things where they try and go into the black market, and they try and, like, get Alice Braga, like, new organs and stuff like that, they eventually get to, like, oh, we have to, like, do a face-off after a certain point where, like, Jude Law gets, like, knocked out. And he's like, oh, you know what I gotta, like, go back to the main source. And then he has, like, this badass, like, hallway fight, and he kills a bunch of people. Like, we have Schreiber, who's his boss, and, like, a bunch of other people down this hallway. And then the whole twist is like, oh, he has this happy ending, and he gets to, like, leave with uh, Alice Braga and Forrest Whitaker. They, like, all go off to, like, this fancy island. And then it turns out, oh, wait, no, this was actually a twist, uh, because earlier on they had established this, like, new technology about, like, oh, you can put this memory in your head where you think you're living in paradise for forever, and it's just, like, you're like in a f- permanent coma. And that's what Force Whitaker has done for Jude Law, after he basically, like, knocks him out like earlier in the movie. So the last, like, 30 minutes or so of this movie is actually a big dream that's going on. And, like I mentioned before, it's such a rebuff of Brazil, but also, like, the key difference with, like, Brazil, where they have that kind of ending, is, like, the movie prior to, like, that sort of turn is actually, like, a very upsetting, dark, like, not Hollywood movie whatsoever. And then the Hollywood ending happens, and you're like, oh, my God, like, this is t- taking a turn for the weird, and this doesn't really make sense with, like, what happened earlier. And it's because, oh, this is a fantasy, as opposed to pretty much everything after the first 20 minutes of this movie is Hollywood and bullshit. Like, just, oh, my God, we got to, like, get out of here. Like, me and Alice Braga, we're going to face up against the world. And my buddy, Forrest Whitaker, might capture me. Oh, no, what's going to happen? And, uh, yeah, so that makes all that shit near the end where it's like, oh, it's a bit more over the top than what we'd seen before. But it doesn't actually work with, like, the way you made this film prior at all.
1: Like I said before, this movie should have stayed mean. If this movie stayed mean, made it a character study, made it hard about him being able to carry on his job, and then, like, the ending is like him harvesting all of Alice Braga's organs for one big score so he can get back in the good ratios of his company. I would have rather have had that shit happen than like the fucking ending to Brain Candy. Like, (laughs) like (laughs) I would have, I would have rather have had that. I would have rather have had like, you know, more than like literally Brazil brain candy, all these type of movies or whatever. I would have rather have had like a Henry Portion of a serial killer ripoff, which would have fit this movie and fit these actors and fit this like uh, uh, a chemistry a fuck ton better than trying to be like every other good sci-fi film at the time, which is what this fucking movie does. And it's just, it's just a waste. Like, it's a waste for, like, this kind of black comedy the same way that, like, a uh, uh, law-abiding citizen is a waste for the crime drama or for, like, the legal procedure dra- uh, drama or whatever. It could have been something, but it decided to just go for the half-assed Hollywood route. Uh, it, it, like almost like as like a safety blanket, if you will, and it's just it's fucking disappointing because this could have been a a real there's a there's I feel like there's a really good movie and a really good idea here, and they just fucking squandered it.
0: Yeah, I mean, even you know, like I mentioned earlier, like *Reap the Genetic Opera*. Like, I don't necessarily agree with people who say like, "Oh, this is a ripoff." I think just because mm. it feels more like parallel thinking with that particular concept. Like, even there's a point where they're watching *The Monty Python's The Meaning of Life*, which has literally like that whole sketch. Which John Cleese and Graham Chapman, like, can we have your liver? <laughs> and they, like, harvest it out of Terry Gilliam's fucking body while he's living. So, yeah. like, this this idea isn't 100% original necessarily, even before Repo. But, like, at least with, like, a Repo the Genetic Opera, which is, like, a much lower budget movie and a much more, like, sort of, like you mentioned, it's a meaner movie. And it's also, like, this big, like, elaborate Rocky Horror style, like, horror musical element. Like, that's a movie that sticks to its convictions, no matter how, like, kind of... Inept. it could be sometimes, like, the production of it. It still feels like, oh, it wants to, like, really commit to, like, this very gory, very over-the-top operatic conceit of, like, these people who, like, harvest organs and then, like, the, how that affects, like, people around them and this weird succession thing <laughs> about the main person who runs the company and shit like that. But this movie, yeah, it just feels like it, it definitely is, like, this basic concept that sounds like it could be daring and interesting and kind of is for the first 20 minutes. just becomes really like dull forgettable pablum that's really a bummer considering everybody here including like i'm curious uh with jude law we've talked about this many times on the show that jude law kind of feels like a guy where he was put constantly in sort of like starring roles in big movies and this feels like one of the last examples of that to me because he really just feels more like a very handsome character actor he's so much better in like supporting roles as opposed to being like the lead would you agree with that in general with jude law
1: I've always been like back and forth or per- I guess you could say fickle when it comes to Jude Law because like you know he's great in movies like Road to Perdition but then he gives you shit like Alfie because I think even this year it was 2010 I think he was in Dr. Parnassus right wasn't he one of like the transformations uh, post Heath Ledger's death in that movie because it was him fucking uh, uh, Johnny Depp and Colin
0: Farrell right and yes. Colin
1: Farrell yeah exactly so it's like it's not like you know him being a character actor is something out of the ordinary I mean I think after Alfie everyone kind of knew what he was.
0: Because it was particularly that 2004 where it was like it was Alfie Sky Captain. Which I love. Yeah, sure. Okay. Yeah. Um, he did like six different fucking movies in 2004 where they tried to make him like, you're the new hotness, you're the biggest guy as opposed to... Like, I agree with you that like the roles that made him work are like Road to Perdition or AI. I love him as like Gigolo Joe, pe- stuff like that, where he's yep. a supporting character and he's amazing at it. He's just like, it's that trouble where it's like, oh no, you have the handsome face, so we have to make you the lead. It's like, no, man, that's not what he works as and I think he's gotten more into kind of like yeah if I'm gonna be the lead it's gonna be in something a bit weirder and a bit more off-center as opposed to you know like this where it feels like oh we got you know it's a you know a 30 million dollar budget movie back when Hollywood made those so now we gotta like have you be like the star and we have to like market the whole movie around you it's like no nah, man he doesn't need to be that
1: so what you're saying is we need to make a sky captain sequel
0: uh I mean you know you could <laughs> probably make a, a similar comparable looking movie at this point on your home computer with that. Um, but but yeah, I don't know. This one, uh, it's a bummer also considering Miguel Sapochnik is actually a pretty interesting director in terms of, like, he's mostly known more for television at this point because he's a guy who's directed, like, uh, a lot of Game of Thrones, like particularly some of the bigger episodes that people are aware of with Game of Thrones. Um, but... Also, like, a, a bunch of other things like House of the Dragon recently, um, Master of Sex, True Detective. Like, he's a guy who's, like, very accomplished in television, but he's only done this. And then the next movie he did was fairly recently, that one Tom Hanks movie where he builds a robot companion in the post-apocalypse, Finch. Were you aware this movie existed? I'm a, I
1: am wasn't aware until I looked at his filmography because I was like, what other movies did this guy do? Because I could see something of a vision when i'm watching repo man and then i saw this movie called finch and it was like an apple original i was like well no wonder i don't watch
0: anything right the apple i'm not something that oh shit. that's why it doesn't exist it was released on a streaming service you had no one really fucking subscribes to unless they watch <laughs> the lasso like that's it
1: exactly and i've never been i've never been a game of thrones guy like i i've seen some episodes or whatever i mean i think i might have seen i you know what i did see the battle of the bastards episode
0: right that's the big one he did was about the bastards one
1: which yeah. is a really good piece of television fair enough you know what I mean but uh but other than that like no it's just like um I mean how is did, did you see Finch or whatever
0: it's called no I didn't see Finch I had okay. Apple Plus and I haven't seen Finch <laughs>
1: <laughs> the punchline to this whole thing but, but uh but yeah
0: no um
1: it, it's just interesting to me because like I mean this guy's obviously made great television and he's only really got the director shot twice Again, like, my anger when it comes to this movie comes from just, like, the potential squandered. And I don't even know if it's his fault. Like, I mean, as far as I'm concerned, this could be this the result of studio meddling, which makes sense considering the multitude of directions that this film seems to go but never really wants to commit to.
0: Though I am surprised at the same time, like, a studio would allow even, like, that ending to happen. Because the movie almost feels like it's kind of commenting. It's trying to do, like, what Brazil did. Where it's just like, oh, we're going to make this seem like a big Hollywood happy ending. But then it turns out we have the subversion here. It almost feels like the studio ignored the bookends of the movie. Where it's just like, oh, yeah, sure, the first 20 minutes, whatever. Yeah, last 30 minutes, whatever. We have to focus on this middle chunk where this guy's unlikable. (laughs) So then I guess we're supposed to feel bad when he ends up being in, like, a permanent coma or whatever. It's like, No. I don't feel bad for that guy. Fuck him. (laughs) No, he's an asshole. But I mean, like,
1: I really wish they would have given him an ending worthy of a guy who is an asshole that would have led to like, you know, that would have given like a journey. You know what I mean? I'd rather have a film about a guy who's an asshole who gets down on his luck and then gets back to where he is, which is being an asshole
0: yeah instead of him being saved by uh the leader of the resistance played by yvette nicole brown which was like whoa wait surely out of fucking nowhere
1: here? out of fucking nowhere by the way <laughs> i was just like i i mean i'm glad you got yeah, fine fine i'll give the you gave me a little bit more uh, uh give me a second wind if you will or at least a quarter of a second wind i do find it funny that this is the second though because we 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 got to mention our guy you know got to go back to the spawn episode we got to mention the man himself the john leguizamo appearance that means nothing but it's still John leguizamo he's not eating any maggot pizza (laughs) but
0: (laughs) i'm curious about this because the big thing with uh leguizamo is i don't think he's in the cut i saw which was the like regular cut i believe he's in the unrated cut that's like about eight minutes longer because when i watched it, he was not in there at all i saw he was in this movie i'm like oh i guess we'll see leguizamo for a scene i did not see him oh yeah yeah, but the one i got off when i saw this back when
1: I was back in 2010 was the unrated cut that they had on every like Redbox you could find this movie at (laughs) because Redbox was promoting the shit out of this movie when they finally got their hands on it. But uh but yeah, yeah, it's like literally his whole thing is that he's shown there to like he's supposed to like help Alice Braga's character because like he's someone that, you know, she used to have a thing with or whatever. And um, he tells him to go to, you know, the the surgeon, you know, the two surgeons that have the same name. And it's like a 10 year old performing surgery, which is actually a fun scene. I got. Yeah, say. that's
0: one of the fun. Th- I agree. That feels like the, the most in- sort of like the black comedy element of it. It's like this little girl who like starts who's like very uh, good at like removing organs and shit like, and she like literally gets an organ down and she's like, yay! I'm like, that's kind yeah. of fun. Where was <laughs> exactly. this?
1: It's like it feels that's that's where I was like, oh, we're getting that total recall feeling back, and it kind of works here. Like when they're doing the surgery, and I was just like, this is this is fucking cool. I like this here, but that's the lead into the fight where Whitaker like knocks Jude Law out is because they go back to his apartment and they find his orchids completely like repo and that's because he he owed money too or owed you know shit and. Whitaker came in and just repoed the fuck out of him. So he's he's he's, he's plot device again. <laughs> we were talking about plot devices earlier. He's just a plot device. So,
0: yeah. but but before we close out, I am curious. Like, what do you think sort of works for um, Whitaker here? Where like it definitely feels like he's kind of like third build, but he doesn't have like a lot of screen time. But do you think he sort of makes the most out of even like a lesser movie like this? Absolutely. Because I
1: mean, the thing that I buy it throughout this entire movie is that he loves being this guy's best friend even though like you said before they're fucking bad for each other that ending scene the thing that i do like about it is the fact that he is indeed filled with sorrow that he is essentially killed the quality of life for his best friend from a thing that was ultimately his big plan to keep his best friend his plan to keep his best friend fucking failed and that's sad that's like a really sad fucking thing even for psychopaths like those two you know and I and I buy the and I was like I kind of sat there the whole time and I was just like huh you know it's a damn shame they couldn't uh, you know just did the thing together did the heist together but then again you know you wouldn't get the whole like shitty subplot of Jude Law trying to you know redeem himself or whatever the fuck this movie was trying to tell me but as far as Whitaker's performance himself he's one half of like the great leads that this film has because like I said I buy that they're best friends I believe that they're best friends and I believe that he wants to stay his best friend in this line of work. And um, that's the one thing, the one positive that I'll take away from that. ending. immediately he knows that he, he done fucked up. He doesn't have his friend anymore and he's going to have to, you know, like in the show, cowboy bebop, he's going to have to carry that weight. And that came through clear through a shitty ending, but you know, it came through clear nonetheless.
0: Yeah. It's a real testament to like Whitaker's um, abilities as an actor, especially that like he can make such a like nothing character actually have a lot more of that pathos that you're talking about. Even as, like they're going around doing like the the real seedy shit. Like they go around, and they spot that one guy who's like eating a hot dog, and it's like, "Hey, you better pay your stuff by like uh, you know in two days, or else we're gonna get you." And it's like, "Oh yeah, um, I, the check's in the mail. Like sure, buddy." Sure it is. Like, he feels authentic. like, oh, like, he's embodying perfectly, like, the asshole kind of cop character, which I think that's the thing is, like, oh, when this movie tries to, like, kind of differentiate itself from, like, where it's like, oh, we're going to do something different with, like, this sci-fi, satirical, dark comedy conceit, and it's like, I don't know, this feels more like a generic cop movie than it does, like, an interesting satire, which I think is, like, the biggest bummer, and I think Whittaker tries his best within that, even Jude Law does, like, this cast is, like, not you know, sleeping through it necessarily, Uh, but they can't really do much. And those are my final thoughts. And listen, do you have anything to add as final thoughts for Repo Men?
1: No, not really. Um, Anybody who thinks that this movie, and I have have seen some of your Letterboxd reviews, people, and I have seen these YouTube clips of you people claiming that this is some deep, profound fucking movie that Hollywood uh, was keeping under wraps or under the hatchet. No, this was Hollywood. This was 2010. This was a Hollywood sci-fi film in 2010. Not trying to be deep, but it was trite. Okay, don't fucking defend this. How dare you fucking try to defend this film as this like underrated cult, like could be cult classic. It doesn't deserve to be a cult classic. It deserves to be shat
0: upon because it's a piece of shit and a waste of time.
1: Yeah, that's that's the
0: big thing is like (laughs) that's the big thing is like whenever because like there's this this sort of continued like I'm I'm very much like I support at least the idea of this where it's like oh I want to return to a point where like Hollywood would make thirty million dollar budget movies like this cuz like the 30 million dollar budget is kind of like wasted away as Hollywood has gone either for we have to have a 200 million dollar giant blockbuster or we can do like 5 million or below budget like Blumhouse very small budget movie that we know will make money as opposed to. I don't know if we spend more than that. It's not going to really, like, work out. And, like, I want to, like, go back to that kind of period. But at the same time, going back and seeing, like, you know, a decade plus later, like, oh, this, like, small movie that, like, it wasn't a big blockbuster so you all didn't see it, It's like, oh, uh, no, I think people didn't see it because, as it turns out, uh, it was pretty fucking bad. I think, if anything, these are the kind of movies that killed that kind of, like, fun middle mid-budget genre movie that Hollywood used to make. Kind of these movies that are like, oh, these are, like, not... Leaving any kind of blip on the radar, so just kind of like a waste of time and money for the studio. So, like, oh, we can't do any more of these. It feels like it's kind of like one of those examples where it just feels like, yeah, if anything, this is one of the problems. Where it's just like, if you're going to make one of these $30 million movies again, if we want to have more of those, we got to make them at least like fun and interesting. Not the best movie ever made, but just like kind of fun and junky, but in a way it's at least kind of like has some personality and is interesting as opposed to like this very much Drek. And I agree with you, it's uh, fucking bad. <laughs> For sure
1: to the people out there that like want to hold this film on a fucking pedestal. Want to watch a $30 million movie that actually gave me false hope as a fan around this time district fucking nine. Watch District 9. That's your right. 30 million dollar film that got Oscar nominated, shoved its foot right up the ass of Hollywood with all the big budgeted bullshit that was coming out of 2009. This film came out of nowhere. It was, a, it, was, a, it, was a, it was it was that's the movie. That's that's the film the film to have your kind of your rebellious front as far as putting something on a pedestal to say fuck Hollywood too.
0: Or even like if you want to do that with like a movie that's out like now that you could support if it's like still in like a local theater view, Bo is afraid. That's a $35 million budget movie that is very much like an anti-mainstream movie on every single regard. And it's amazing. And I loved it. And that's like a true, like, giant middle finger to, like, whatever you think, like, Hollywood perception is. That's an amazing movie. So go, like, support that instead of just being like, remember Repo Men though? That was cool. It's like, no. Fuck that. Go see the Ari Aster movie. <laughs> Do that hey. instead. One of the people was like, oh, this was a deep statement on healthcare. I was like,
1: Saw 6 came out, like, not even six months before. And that was a yeah.
0: That, that a actually idea. is a much better statement <laughs> on healthcare for sure. Exactly. Genuinely, hundred <laughs> percent. But you know, let's get into the weekly segment: the double, double, redo. Double, redo. double redo. Double redo. Double redo. Double redo. Double redo.
1: Double 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 double, double
0: redo. Redo. That works. So the double review is a segment that Adam and I usually do, in which uh, we recommend one good movie and then dissuade you from one bad movie related to the topic. Uh, I have two options, and so does Tori, and so we'll uh, go ahead and uh, I'll start off here uh, with my two for Forest Whitaker, where uh, my good pick. Is um, a movie that I hadn't seen until fairly recently, but I thought was pretty great. It's called *A Rage in Harlem* from director Bill Duke. Yes, Bill Duke of uh, *Predator* fame, amongst other things. The actor has a very robust directorial career. I recently talked about *Deep Cover* on the segment, like about a month ago, we did a Lawrence Fishburne episode, and um, I've I've only seen like this one and *Deep Cover*, and I'm starting to realize like, oh yeah, Bill Duke's kind of like a very underrated director because basically. A Rage in Harlem, um, it takes place in uh, 1920s-era Harlem. Um, and uh, we mainly, uh, we initially focus on, like, this group of gangsters. Uh, it's a, mostly a black cast, and it's, like, this group of black gangsters in the middle of, like, a big deal, and all of a sudden, uh, the cops storm in and start shooting up the place. they little, like, hideout. And so everyone starts running around, including uh, Robin Gibbons, who uh, plays this gangster's mall of a woman character, um, who ends up, like vacating the premises over to Harlem uh, because she's looking for this gold trunk that's in one of the apartments down there in Harlem. And along the way, she ends up running into Forrest Whitaker, who plays this morgue attendant who's very, like, sort of religious and very, like, soft-spoken, very nerdy, and uh, ends up, you know, shacking up with him as a way to kind of get into his apartment building so that she can end up stealing that big gold trunk. It's really not available to stream, and it's such a bummer because I think this movie is kind of amazing. I think it's it has some issues where you can tell that the original script was trying to be a bit more comedic in tone, and I think it doesn't like the comedic stuff kind of works, but I don't think it's like nearly as interesting as like when it just becomes like a really fascinating sort of like noir crime movie. That's, like, so fascinating to watch. Especially with Whitaker, who I think is, like, the best of, the comedic stuff. Because he literally was, like, very nerdy, very nebbishy, shy. And just, like, oh, I want to trust in Jesus and everything. But the moment Robin Givens uh, comes into his life and uh, they have an amazing, very weird sex scene. In which you literally see, like, a one whole shot of, like, Robin Givens, like, all, like, from her head all the way down to her bare ass. And then, of course, Whitaker licks one of her cheeks. It's... Kind of sexy, but it's also just bizarre and weird, but kind of awesome. And the thing is, it's got an amazing stack cast besides like you got Givens and Whitaker, but also Gregory Hines is in here. You got Danny Glover, uh, Zakes Moke, who was uh, the guy in uh, The Serpent in the Rainbow, TK Carter, very young Wendell Pierce shows up. Um, George Wallace even shows up, <laughs> the comedian at a certain point. It's very well directed, very stylish. There's a lot of great like chase scenes and shootout scenes, and just the style of it, it looks so immersed in like that 20s era sort of gang. I'm oh, sorry, it's actually 50s. I should I'm mistaken. I apologize. It's a 50s era, and it, it feels like so wonderful and just like I said, it's a very underrated masterpiece. I would recommend to anybody out there. Uh, and then my bad pick is a movie that Whitaker doesn't have, like, a huge role in, but it kind of feels indicative of a lot of the movies he was doing around, like, this 90s period, where he would just pop up in, like, a sixth lead, basically, in, you know, this movie that often starred a bunch of white people who weren't that interesting. It was sadly, like, a sort of token character. And in this case, I have Consenting Adults, which mainly follows uh, Kevin Klein who plays this guy who is very much like a typical 90s yuppie where he, like, writes music for commercial jingles and he ends up, you know, he's living this life with his uh, wife, uh, Mary Elizabeth Mastronio. Apologies, I always fuck up that name. Um, They're having a fun time in, you know, suburbia with their daughter. But uh, a new neighbor moves in, um, who's another reason why I'd recommend you not watch this movie, uh, played by Kevin Spacey. That's right. They become friends, him and Kevin Klein, And it's like, you know, oh, we're going to, like, run together. We'll uh, go to bars together. We'll hang out at each other's houses. And Kevin Spacey is, like, very weird and aggressive. Like, there's a whole scene where he commits insurance fraud and gets, like, run over by a car. (laughs) And then he's just like, oh, guess what? I'm fine. I didn't actually get hurt by that car. It's all cool. I just wanted the insurance money. Uh, But we're still bros, right? It's like, yeah, I guess, dude, sure. Whatever. Um, But at a certain point, he suggests to Kevin Klein, hey, you know what would be really fun? What if we uh, swapped wives, but we're not even like swinging in like that intentional way? Uh, what we're gonna do is, I want you to sneak into my house and lie next to my wife in our bed, and I want you to like kind of in a half awake state, fuck her while she doesn't know, and I'm gonna do the same thing with your wife. And Kevin Klein's like, Yeah, sure, let's do that. Um, and he ends up going along with that and goes up, you know, into Kevin Spacey's house and everything, and then the next morning. Uh, he realizes that uh, Kevin Spacey's wife has been murdered and he's charged with murder. And it's like, oh my God, how is he going to get out of this situation? His wife div- you know, wants to divorce him and she ends up hooking up with Kevin Spacey. And Force Whitaker plays like the detective who's trying to get him like out of jail. Um, but the big problem is like, I don't know, the 90s were, I guess, a different time. But I think anyone in the 90s would also think like, hey, uh, Kevin Klein, uh, how about you stay in jail? With your intentions of like, yeah, I'm going to go along with this weird conceit of, I'm going to go up to this woman while she's asleep and have sex with her without her realizing that I'm not her husband. Like, you went in with that perception, even though Kevin Spacey ended up framing you for murder. uh, You're so awful. And really, like, I don't want to, like, fucking follow you, dude. And I love Kevin Klein. It's very, like, much like a Hollywood Pictures kind of era movie where it's, like, it's junky. It looks good. It's actually, it's directed by Alan J. Pakula, who's a guy who's more famous for directing, like, All the President's Men and Clute and the Parallax View, like, some of the great 70s paranoia thrillers. Um, And this is one of his last movies, and it's, like, a really junky, bad, like, sort of era, you know, post-Fatal Attraction, those kind of, like, uh, yuppie uh thrillers that were around all the time Uh, on this is one of the worst examples of it and also that waste force whitaker who just kind of comes in for like two or three scenes just being like hey kevin klein this is really suspicious i'm gonna get you cleared yeah sure sure forrest you can do that but i would not recommend consenting adults by any stretch
1: i mean you you know consenting adults kevin spacey i mean uh okay (laughs) i'm kind of intrigued to see it like like i you you've probably told me before about my morbid curiosity for these kind of films so yeah
0: i mean i want to emphasize that that movie's also very boring despite what i said after like the weird setup it's just kind of like i don't even give a shit what's going on here (laughs) uh but Tori, what about your choices for the double redo Okay, right for the double redo
1: for the good i have a film here that i feel like uh is underrated doesn't get talked about a lot amazing cast um so it's directed by doug mchenry now, Doug McHenry and uh, the late Gerald Jackson were responsible for producing a lot of black cinema like New Jack City, a thin line between Love and Hate, the House Party movies, Crush Groove. And uh, they also produced and McHenry directed this movie here called Jason's Lyric, um, which I mentioned a little bit before in the episode. Um, this stars Alan Payne, Jada Pinkett, Bokeem Woodbine, Treat from Naughty by Nature, Eddie Griffin, and of course, Forrest Whitaker. It's kind of like this weird, romantic, psychological, but also weirdly erotic kind of uh, a film where it's based on two brothers who are dealing with the childhood trauma of their abusive alcoholic father, uh, Mad Dog, portrayed by uh, Forrest Whitaker. And uh, Bokeem Woodbine plays the younger brother who is in more of the destructive path as far as his life and dealing with his trauma, as opposed to the older brother portrayed by Alan Payne, who's in you know the show House of Payne, who is a very responsible uh, young black man in uh, the third ward of Houston, Texas, and feels that he can't move on with his life with the love of his life played by Jada Pinkett Smith because he's still kind of tied to a feeling of responsibility to both his mother and his brother because of unfortunate uh, uh, trauma at the hands of their father. And it's a very interesting film of how it deals with trauma. The performances are really good too. Um, And it's especially Bokeem Whitbine who steals the show and obviously Forrest Whitaker, but Forrest Whitaker is, you know, in the beginning of the movie, he's um, he's more of like the, the the catalyst or the start for like all the events that happen. Excellent, very underrated movie from the 90s. Doesn't get enough uh, props because I never even hear people really talking about it outside of, you know, black cinema circles. So that would be my good, my bad and You know, I, I, it's hard as far as like picking a bad Forrest Whitaker film that obviously isn't repo, man, but, uh, I hate the film phenomenon from 1997 with Sean Travolta. That to me counts as a bad Forrest Whitaker movie. I know he's not like in top building necessarily, but I, I don't know. That film is like just the epitome of schmaltz. It's just a dumb fantasy film. I never was, I never liked it as a kid and I still don't like it now as an adult. I know it was like this big super success, but I don't know. Yeah, it's just it's just boring to me. It's just a bad overall movie to me. So that's that's what I would give to Forrest Whitaker.
0: Uh, yeah, I have not seen either of your picks. I didn't even honestly heard of uh, the Jason lyrics until um, you were talking about it, really. And that sounds fascinating. I'd be curious to see it. And Phenomenon is a weird one where, like, I'm vaguely aware of that movie, but I always get confused with the other 1996 John Travolta kind of supernatural movie, Michael where he plays an angel. Oh, the and angel one? I know, yeah. <laughs> right, and because the other one, the phenomenon is like he ends up getting like telekinetic powers, right?
1: Yeah, he has telekinetic powers, yeah, as a result of like a brain injury or a brain
0: aneurysm or something like that. Right, so it's like flowers for Algernon, but with Carrie, which is interesting given the Travolta of it all as well yeah. on that. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Uh, You know, I just want to shout out, uh, Adam had picked some uh, double reduced choices that uh, we didn't end up, um, you know, obviously he wasn't here for this, but I do just want to shout out what he had wanted to pick for uh, good and bad uh, was his good choice was Ghost Dog Way of the Samurai, which we've talked about on the show before, an amazing movie that I completely support, I love that fucking movie, and his bad pick was Battlefield Earth. Uh, which we've also covered on the show, and um, is, uh, I think, also interesting considering it kind of also, is, it's another John Travolta, Force Whitaker collab, um, and also is kind of like another like sort of weird toxic friend thing with like, him and Travolta as the fucking, uh, the turtle and the other guy, the, I haven't got those fucking species, whatever that <coughs> dumb thing is. But yeah, uh, those were his choices as well, and I think uh, those are, so especially, I love Ghost Dog. I rewatched it recently because I got that Criterion Blu-ray and uh, that movie it's it's become like one of my favorite movies movie fucking rules
1: oh, yeah. i mean i remember thinking it was the coolest shit as a kid because they used um a lot of the promotion was used with like uh they had a lot of trailer commercials out where like rizzo was kind of leading the charge on it as far as like him like uh promoting the movie because um, i'm not sure if he had he had done like the score for it or if he was responsible for the soundtrack it was so he, long he like ago. was
0: the soundtrack producer on that so he put together a lot of the songs that were on there
1: yeah, exactly. And he was doing a lot of like, I remember watching like old episodes of Rap City in the basement or Rap City where he was like promoting the movie. And it's so ah, dude. It's so good. And it's like, I feel like it was just not appreciated at the time, but I'm glad that it has like this status, this this like cult status, and even people at the time who appreciate it. I remember even Ebert really appreciating and singing high of its praises. So there were definitely people who were like, you know, putting it out there, but what a
0: classic of a movie. For sure, for sure. Uh, but let's repeat our titles for anybody out there in case you want to, you know, add some to your watch list or remove some. Um, the good pick that I had uh, was A Rage in Harlem, And the bad pick I had was Consenting Adults. And then Adam's good pick was Ghost Dog Way of the Samurai. And his bad pick was uh, Battlefield Earth. And for
1: my good pick, Jason's Lyric. And for my bad pick... The 1996 film, Phenomenon.
0: Yes, and uh, thank you all uh, for listening here. Um, we want to, you know, thank some other people before we announce at the end of this episode. We're going to be uh, revealing what our choices are for next week and everything, so stay tuned for that. Uh, but first, we got to thank some people like Chris Oliver for the intro and outro music used for our show. Listen to more of his music at chrisoliver.bandcamp.com. Uh Thanks to Christian Thor Lally for our artwork. Uh, follow him at Night of Water, Night with a K, underscore of, underscore water, for all sorts of stuff that he has, uh, you know, on various socials. And thanks, of course, to our Patreon supporters, patreon.com slash DEDBpod, uh, who, you know, ended up voting for this particular episode's topic. So thank you all. We really appreciate that. And also, uh, you'll be getting a bonus podcast here. I think it should be out by the time this episode's been released. uh, Our one for April that would have come out just in time. Our top 10 So Bad They're Good movies. Adam and I recorded that. Had a lot of fun. Um, we really appreciate, you know, patrons for that $1 you you've helping to support us for all these years on the show. And, of course, we want to thank our guest, Tori. Thank you so much for coming in a pinch. Always appreciate Love having you on the show. Hey,
1: I'm completely honored to be and uh, be part of the show whenever I can. So, thank you.
0: And for more of us, you can find us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook as at DE pod. And also you can uh, submit feedback to us uh, double edge bill at gmail.com all spelled out or you can submit like on, you know, those uh, various different socials and stuff. And uh, you can find me on Twitter and Letterboxd at NotTheWho'sTommy. And I also do some writing at both Marianne Thomas.wordpress.com and film-cred.com. And follow Adam. Uh, he's on Instagram at Atom or Adam. That's A-T-O-M underscore O-R underscore A-D-A-M. And uh, he's Swanson on Letterboxd. It's S-C-H-W-A-N-D-T-S-O-N. And, uh, you know, to follow us and listen to, like, so much of our, uh, what we've recorded over the last, you know, several years, subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, and other podcasting platforms. If you're listening on Talk Film Society, you want to listen to all the other great shows on the network. And uh, you can also dig into our archives and our Podbean main feed for, like, you know, over 200 episodes, even before we joined Talk Film Society. And nothing else, if you can't, you know, support us uh, on the Patreon, the $1 can be tight, we, we understand. It really helps if you just rate, review, or simply share the show around, because it gives us more visibility. And uh, now, you know, usually at the end of episodes, uh, we end up uh, picking randomly a good and a bad pick, and we would usually have Tori pick a number between 1 and 10 for them. Um, but we're going to do something a bit different here at the end of this episode, because um, we initially announced we were going to do a special edition sort of topic as our 5th uh, anniversary topic um, but things have changed a bit uh, where we are going to cover at least one movie we have covered before on the show, that was the plan with Special Edition, uh, we were going to do uh, you know a good movie uh, that we would have picked here and then also Tango and Cash um, but some recent events have kind of changed things where one Tango and Cash we're still going to cover because the patrons voted for it uh, on our Patreon we're going to be doing a commentary in May for that um, and I, so we'll end up doing that um, but we ended up deciding, like you know what, um, we're gonna forego a topic even doing a bad pick uh, because um, you know this is interesting Tori doesn't even know this. Um, the next episode of Double Edge Double Bill is going to be the last one. I'm not joking here, not doing anything like that. Uh, Adam and I kind of came to the mutual decision to have our fifth anniversary big blowout. Um, we're gonna end the show there. There'll be more explanation on the particular episode. Stay tuned for next week. Um, it's going to be our big final blowout, and we decided, like, you know what? Let's just do two picks we really love. So uh, we're going to end up doing Heat, which we have done before on the show, and that's one of Adam's favorite movies. And then we're going to do probably my favorite movie of all time. I've talked about it many times on the show, and, you know, given the last episode, I wanted to finally cover Little Shop of Horrors 1986. So we're going to be covering both those movies. going to be having a lot of fun and, as I mentioned, ending the show on that particular note. Well, um... <laughs> that took me me aback there shit um yeah i'm sorry i yeah i I didn't tell tori about this before i kind of hinted that something was going to be revealed like yeah uh i'm I'm sorry i sprung this on you but you know what you were a very gracious last guest host tori i really appreciate it i loved every
1: single time i was a guest host on the show the last five years um i'm glad to have had the friendship with you the last like I Scott man what decade and a half of my life at this point and then yeah, meeting Adam awesome. yeah I know I mean meeting of course through you meeting Adam um and every time I was on the show I always had the most fun you know and it, it's it's weird because I always feel like every episode I was on I always got I always felt like I got more comfortable I was a lot you know more confident you know speaking about movies or just having you know these chats
0: if you will and um
1: yeah I I was, I'm honored that I was always a guest on the show and uh, I'm always going to be thankful for that
0: yeah um, I'll say this much uh, stay tuned for the next episode we will at least be talking about um, it's not necessarily going to be the end of a podcast on this feed to some degree um, but it will be at least the last one of sort of the double edged double bill duo as it were uh, doing the show we'll explain more next week uh, when we cover like I said heat and the 1986 version of Little Shop of Horrors. We'll be wrapping things up for this particular show, um, and just stay tuned. We'll be discussing more of our plans next time on that. But until then, everybody, we just recommend you keep all your organs intact for next week.